before we started and said, hey, our drummer left. Will you play for me? I said, sure, just make sure he pays me double. And so it's an easy, easy bonus right there. I'm just kidding. <laughs> he said, I don't know that I can work that out, but will you play anyway? I said, sure. Hey, if you're a guest with us, we're glad that you're here. Uh, I'm glad that you came to worship this morning. I'm excited about this morning, excited about what God's got for us this morning. If you've got your Bible, go to Romans. Uh, we have, we're kind of headlong into our Romans um, summer preaching series. I've entitled this Set Apart because of Romans chapter 1, verse 1, where Paul introduces the whole letter to Romans, and he says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. And I, I've talked over the last few weeks about how that's really our calling in life, is that we are called to be an apostle, we are called to be set apart, that we are called to set apart for the gospel and how important that is in our life. This last week we hosted VBS, and that's always a fun week. Um, it's a, it's a, a lot of fun to see the kiddos running around. We had a huge crowd of kids here. We had two kids get saved through our VBS week, which is an incredible uh, opportunity that we have to impact on their life, and so we're thankful for that and thankful for God working through that. Um, and we've been kind of talking through what it means really to be a Christian, to identify yourself as a Christian. That's really what the book of Romans is about. It kind of, Paul gives us this kind of hard-hitting truce about this is what it is and this is what it's not. And so stop saying it's not what it is and stop saying it isn't what it's not. And so he gives us this really pretty neat and kind of in-our-face uh, word through the whole book of Romans. And, and over the summer, we're going to kind of be... be kind of sectioning that out and dividing that out and kind of talking through all the the really incredible things that are in that if you missed last week's sermon i don't say this very often but if you missed last week's sermon then you need to go back and watch that we put all of our sermons on our website uh, obviouswarren.com or .net obviouswarren.net and uh and we're we're kind of catching up on all that i uploaded another one this morning i think we're just last week's will be uploaded by uh i believe tomorrow or on tuesday and so make sure that you watch that because we're going to build on what we talked about last week um we're, we talked about how paul introduced really the crux of the entire book of romans this idea of justification by faith and how uh, our spiritual condition can really not be uh, changed by us being a good person or by keeping the law or by um, kind of checking off our checklist of brownie points with God, that, that our justification, our right standing with God, our righteousness because of not of who we are, because of what God did, is all accomplished through faith, through faith in Jesus Christ, uh, that we can't climb the ladder of success, we can't be ever good enough or smart enough or pretty enough even though the preacher is good looking on the videotape uh you should watch it for other reasons other than that right uh some of you are going who who's our guest speaker last week who came in and preached because forget you okay um if if you haven't watched last week's i encourage you sometime this week get online and watch that because it'll it'll really make sense of what we're gonna kind of add on to last week we kind of left with this idea in, in chapter 3 verse 24 where it says all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by jesus christ meaning that the only way that we are made right is by what jesus did on the cross and he takes this idea of justification by faith and he talks all the way through chapter four and then all the way into chapter five about this same thought so if you've got your bibles open to romans chapter five we're going to kind of take just verse by verse for the first few verses uh, and we're going to start with verse number one he starts off with a very important word therefore now i was told as a kid a long long time ago if you read your bible and you come to therefore then you find out 
what it's there for, okay? So when you read the word therefore, it's just like me walking up to you saying, you know what I'm talking about? And you're just looking at me going, what are you, I don't, Jessica does this all the time. She's gotten much better. But she, when we were first married, I, we'd be driving in the car because we like to go on road trips. We'd drive in the car and she'd just be over there quiet, just, kind of just mind her own business. She'd go, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I'd go, no. <laughs> what, what, are, what are you talking about? She's like, oh, sorry. I was just thinking through some stuff. And I was like, well, you're going to have to tell me what you're thinking through before I know what you're talking about, okay? And so when you read, therefore, in the Bible, it's almost like somebody just looks at you and says, you know what I'm talking about? And, and so you've got to go back. You've got to figure out what it's there for. And so if you read through chapter 4, he takes this thought of justification by faith, and he expounds on it even more and talks about Abraham, right, and how Abraham was, was deemed righteous by God before he ever did what God asked him to do. He was, he was deemed righteous by God before he was ever circumcised. And, and that was kind of a sign of the, of the Jewish people to say that they are following after God. And, and so Paul says, you know, because of his faith, he was made righteous. He was made right with God. Not long before he ever did anything to prove it. And he says, so therefore, verse 1, since we have been justified through faith, he's just saying this again and again and again, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever thought about peace with God? Have you ever thought about that, uh, that kind of thought about what it really means to be at peace with Him? I'm reading a book right now uh, by a pastor, author, speaker named Judah Smith, and, and it's called uh, How's Your Soul? And it's all about your, your soul kind of finding its home and being intentional and finding its home in God that we can kind of just rest there and and I feel like that when we when we rest in who God says we are there's the there's a little bit of peace that comes along with that there's um, there's just kind of a little bit of a deep breath and we talk in church circles about peace with God with kind of rose-colored glasses that we have peace with God and it's kind of this nice and fluffy thought that because of what Jesus did on the cross we we have this right standing with him which is all correct and true that, that we can kind of take this, this proverbial deep breath when it comes to God because we are at peace with Him. But this week, what really hit me is what's the opposite of peace with God? This Greek word that Paul uses here uh, is arena, and, and this, is, this is literally translates to the exemption of rage and havoc of war. So like... We've defined light before, and the definition of light is the absence of darkness. And here, the definition of peace is the exemption of havoc and rage of war. And I love that because when, when I think about those two thoughts, havoc and rage and war, and, and, and the opposing idea of peace, that's what life is without God. It's this rage and havoc and kind of all over the place feeling. It's, it's when we try to do life on our own, we feel so discombobulated that we're, just, we're pushed from one area to the other, and it just seems like we're in the middle of this big storm mess of life, and we don't understand, and that's havoc. It's rage. It's violent. It's, it's all over the place. And, and that's really the struggle that we feel when we try to live life outside of what God has for us, there's this havoc, there's this chaos that, 
that when we try to be in control of our own soul, we feel an absence of peace. And, and I had written down that we're not supposed to be in control, that we're not meant to be in charge, that we were um, not destined to direct our own path, but we were purposed for a purpose in Him. And, and when we have this peace in God, it comes only when we are living life by what He has for us. When we're outside of that. And you guys have all probably experienced that. When we are outside of God's will, it's craziness. It's war. It's chaos. It's rage. It's havoc. And so when we have this peace of, of, of God, we stop trying to do enough or say enough, or give enough, or be good enough, and we just begin to rest in the peace that comes through faith in the one that makes us good enough. See the deep breath that comes with that? See the, the relaxed kind of, I can just settle in. I don't have to be who everybody else thinks I should be. I don't have to be what culture demands that I should be. I just get to be who I am in Him. I get to be my own individual, unique, created person that's purposed for God. And in that comes this incredible peace. And he says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. My big question this morning, if we're just right out of the gate, if I'm just going to say, here's kind of a big thought here, is how would you define your relationship with God? Is it defined by peace? Does your soul have rest? Or is it more defined by havoc and chaos? Is it, is it kind of all over the place right now? Or is it kind of just settled into who He has for you to be? This idea of peace with God only comes through Jesus Christ. See, we can't do that on our own. We can't, we can't attain that on our own. We can't sit down and meditate and uh, cross our legs and, uh, and, and kind of do that little hum thought. We can't do that enough to attain peace with God. It comes through Jesus and our relationship with Him. And so if your relationship with Him is off, then you're not going to have peace. If, you're, if your relationship with Him is so distant and so just kind of hit and miss, then this peace that comes along with that is going to feel, it's going to feel at arm's length. It's going to be so far away from what, what you think is even attainable. Here's, here's a really neat thought. Let's keep reading this because this is all one big thought, verse 1 and 2. It's kind of all together. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom... We have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We have access by faith to grace. I mean, I just really, as I read through this, I thought, there are so many people who are struggling who, who are trying to do life on their own, who are fighting battles all day long and then fighting God all night long. And, and some of you just need to live in the grace that you have access to. John says it like this in John chapter 1, verse 14, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of what? grace 
and truth. See, it is who He is. He is so full of grace. And we have access to this grace because of our faith in Him. But we don't live in it. We don't settle into grace. What we do, on the other hand, is we carry around our guilt. We carry around our shame. And we carry around stuff that we've done years and years and years ago. And we say, I'm not good enough. I've got to get rid of all this before I can get right with God. And God's saying, that's not how it works. See, I give you grace, and I'll take all your junk. I'm going to give you grace to stand in, and I'm going to take all your sin, and I'll, I'll deal with that. I'll separate that from who you are. We don't stand in the grace that God re- literally is. He says, I'm full of grace and truth. And we say, I haven't earned your grace yet. And he said, you're never going to be able to earn my grace. You can't earn it. I'm just going to give it to you. Paul, in his letters in the New Testament, mentions the word grace 96 times. Do you think he saw it as important? Do you think that this was something that he maybe thought, maybe you need to understand what grace is really all about. In Ephesians chapter 2 is one of the most favorite verses about grace. It says, for grace you have been saved through faith. This is not on yourself. It's a gift of God, not by work, so that no one can boast. It is through grace that we can even approach God to begin with. We can't even, we can't even show up unless it was for grace that he pours out. And he says, I'm going to give this to you. Stop carrying around everything else that you're carrying. You're never going to get rid of that and be good enough. Let me just take it and let me give you grace to stand. And then he says, at the end of that verse in, in chapter 5, he says, We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. I, I love this. This, is, this word rejoice means to look forward to or to boast in the hope of the glory of God. Have you ever thought about boasting in hope? Have you ever thought about being excited about hope? Um, Barnes notes on the Bible says this. This is incredible. Hope is a complex emotion made up of a desire for an object and the expectation of obtaining it. When either of these is lacking, there is not hope. When they're mingled in improper proportion, there's not peace. But when the desire of obtaining an object is accompanied with the expectation of obtaining it, in proportion to that desire, there's a peaceful, happy state of mind that we call hope. Listen, I have hope. You should have hope. I have a desire for God, and I have an expectation to experience Him. I have a desire for heaven, and I have an expectation to experience it. I have a desire for right standing with the Father, and I have an expectation that He's going to provide a way for me to do that through Jesus Christ. I can't desire heaven and not expect it. I can't desire God and not expect for Him to be a major part of my life. I can't desire right standing with Him and not expect for Him to provide an avenue for that right standing. That's hope. That's me having a desire for Him and an expectation for Him. That's me having a desire for, for right standing with God and Him providing an, a right standing for Him. This is desire and expectation meet together. That's hope. And as I read it, I just thought, this is incredible because this is huge. Because there's so many of us who have a desire for God to do something in our life, but we don't expect Him to do it. We say, oh God, I really want you to show up and meet me in this and meet my need and do all this kind of stuff, but I mean, if I get it from real honest, I just don't think you're going to. I don't have an expectation for you to show up, God. I want you to, 
but I don't expect you to. And Barnes says there's, there's no peace in that. There's no hope in that. It's this idea of desiring him to do something, but not really expecting him to come through. Or, even worse, I think, you expect Him to move in your life, but you don't desire Him. That's, I think, where we kind of, we, as 21st century Christians, kind of fall, right? We have this expectation for God to take care of us. Oh, God's going to take care of me through this. How big of a part of He in your life is He really? I mean, I don't really desire to go deep with God. I just expect Him to take care of me. It doesn't work like that. That's not hope. That's not what the Bible calls true hope. We have to desire Him and expect Him in appropriate proportion to each other. Too often we're off. Too often we desire and we say, God, I just want you to show up. I just want you to be here. I just don't think you're going to. Or we flip it and we say, God, I expect you to take care of me and see me through and provide for me, but I really don't want you to be a big major part of my life. That Neither one of those equate hope. But when you have them together then that's an incredible thought. That's an incredible feeling of hope. And it says, I hope in the glory of God. This is an important phrasing. Not that I hope for God's glory. Because God already has His glory. I don't have to hope for that. I don't have to expect that. I don't have to wait for that. I don't have to desire for that. God has His glory. He is glorious right now, correct? We don't have to hope for God's glory. We hope for the glory of God. That's shared glory. That's us being able to experience Him and to have Him involved in our life and see the fullness of His presence manifested within us. We hope for the glory of God to be present with us. And so I desire and expect the glory of God. I desire and expect the glory of God. That's an incredible statement. If you wake up in the morning, and every morning you wake up and you say, Okay, God, I desire and I expect the glory of God today. Do you see the power in that statement? Do you see how life-changing that can be? Do you see that this is, this is a, a powerful promise that's in Scripture, and the only way that we can say that is because of the grace in which we now stand. I can't do that on my own. I can't look at God and say, okay, God, I've done enough. I expect and I desire you to show up today. I've been good enough lately. I've gone to church. I've got my perfect attendance plaque. You remember those from back when you were kids? I got a little perfect attendance plaque from Sunday school. I got all that stuff, so I desire and expect you to show up. Because I've done so much for you, I desire and expect you to show up for me. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't ever work like that. We say, okay, God, because of the grace that you've extended to my life, because I'm so not worth it, God, you make me worthy. And so, God, because of what you've done, I desire and I expect you to continue to work in my life because, God, I've just given everything I have over to you. It's all yours. God, I expect you to do incredible things with it. God, that's the only way that I can expect anything out of you because of the grace in which I stand. Let's keep reading. Chapter 5, verse 3 says this. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, character hope. 
And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Okay, listen, did you catch this? Not only do we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Why? How many of you have prayed this prayer? God, thanks for making today hard. Thanks for making uh, so-and-so, whether it's my spouse or my co-worker or my kids, thanks for making them especially difficult today. God, thanks for, thanks for making this situation that I'm in right now feel like it's impossible to escape. Thank you for making life hard for me today. Have you ever, have you ever prayed that? Like, no, nobody prays that. Right? Nobody goes, hey, God, can you make it a little harder? Life is too easy right now, right? We don't do that. But he says here that we rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Because sufferings produces. It, if you underline things in your Bible, underline those two words. Suffering produces. This is, this is like my new mantra in life. So I was reading through and studying this over the last couple of weeks. I was just like, this is it. This is, this is, this is what it's all about. Suffering produces. Because see, when we experience suffering on, on some level, whether it's vocally or whether you tell somebody else about it or whether it's just in your own prayer time with God, there's always this why me atmosphere, right? God, why are you making me do this? God, this is so unfair. Or even you voice it to other people. I don't know why it's so hard right now. I don't know why I'm having to deal with this so far right now. I don't like this. God, can you take this away from me? But when you come to this and you read that suffering produces, then you can go, okay, God, what are you trying to produce in me? What are you trying to teach me through this very hard thing? God, whatever it is, God, help me see what you're doing. Your, your first prayer when you begin to suffer, should be, okay, God, thanks for this hard time. I don't like it, but I know that you're trying to produce something in me. So, God, just show me what it is. Whatever it is, God, I'm, I'm ready to learn. I'm ready to learn whatever it will have to be. And that means everything. Death in the family. Cancer diagnosis. A child that has lost their mind. Or a marriage that feels like it's hanging on by a thread. Aging parents. A lost job. Hello, a bounce check, right? Let's just get real. Sometimes suffering comes in all different directions. And when we experience that, we got to go, Okay, God, what are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to produce in me? Because the Bible says that I will rejoice in my suffering. Because suffering produces. And so, God, I, I want you to teach me something and God, if you could, like this is always the backside of our prayer, could you teach it to me quick so the suffering gets over with pretty fast, right? We kind of throw that in there. That's okay, I guess. You can pray that too. But, but just, God, teach me something. Help me learn the first time around. Because I know, God, that you're trying to produce something in my life, and I need you to teach it to me. Suffering produces. And I love what it produces. Let's look at this together. We know that suffering produces perseverance this is this is incredible have, have you ever you ever been through something before and it just feels like your whole world is falling apart like 
you're all alone and, and no one else in the history of ever has ever had to do what you're having to do right now and you feel very isolated from other people even from your family and your friends and your closest friends who know you more than anybody else knows you and you're going through this thing and you just feel so isolated and alone and then, and then maybe, a, maybe it's a couple of months maybe it's a few years on the back side of it you just kind of feel like gosh that's, that was the most crazy and intense thing that I've ever had to experience and then what happens life throws you another curveball and you go oh man this is so hard this is, this is another suffering moment but, but what can you do in that moment maybe you can look back and you go okay maybe God maybe God's going to see me through this like he saw me through the other one Maybe I've done this before. Maybe I've experienced this before. What, are, what have you developed in that? You've developed some perseverance. You've developed that idea of being able to see this all the way through because you know that God was faithful to you years or months or days ago, and you know that He's going to continue to be faithful to you even now in the middle of this struggle. Struggle produces perseverance. It's something that wells up inside of you, and you can look at the devil and you can say, listen, you're going to have to do better than that. Because God saw me through this again, and He's going to see me through this. And so I'm not messed up by what you're trying to put at me. I'm not messed up by this suffering right now, because I have a God that's faithful. And He's produced perseverance in me through my suffering. And I'm going to let Him carry me through this, just like He carried it through me through the last time, and the time before that, and the time before that. You're going to have to do better than that, devil. You're going to have to come with more than that, because God has produced perseverance in me. This is the same thing as like... Remember David, when he was a young boy and he shows up on the scene and, and the armies are out there and they're facing the Philistine army and Goliath is standing out there, this mountain of a man that's just taunting the entire Israelite army. And he's saying, you know, if anybody can come and, and fight me, then we'll just call this square. If I win, then you guys surrender. If you guys beat me, then I'll, our whole army will surrender. And, and remember, David gets, shows up and he just kind of comes into the scene bringing cheese, <laughs> like what's the weirdest thing in the world that he's going to bring to his brothers on the battlefield. He shows up with cheese and he sees this big giant of a man and he says, how can you guys let him do that? Like that is so wrong. And at that moment, King Saul says, well, what are you going to do about it? And what did David do? David said, listen, I fought the lion and I fought the bear. And, and the same God who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from this Philistine. And he calls him out and he says, because of what I've experienced, because of the sufferings that I've had in the past, I've got perseverance. This, this giant's nothing. I fought a bear. I fought a lion. This guy's, this guy's nothing. Why can I say that? Because I've experienced God see me through suffering before. I've experienced His hand on my life in the, in the scariest moment that I've ever thought could ever come against me. This guy's got nothing on that. This guy, he's, he's a waste of our time. He calls him an uncircumcised Philistine, which is like a, a, like a dart at him. He's just kind of knocking him down. This guy's not even worth our worry. Why have you guys been so scared of him so far? I'll take care of it. And you guys know the rest of the story. He picks up a couple of rocks and he beams the guy in the head and falls over and we don't talk about the other side of that story where he goes over with his own sword and cuts off his head like that's the part of the Bible story we just kind of leave out in vacation Bible school because we're not going to go that far but he goes and he completely de just defeats and demolishes this giant of a band why? because he understands that suffering produces perseverance I've faced worse I can face this too keeps going perseverance 
produces character. He says, we all know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character. If you have a King James Bible, it says experience. I like that translation. That perseverance produces experience. Character. This is, um, the, the Greek meaning of that word means to be tried and approved. This is character development at its best, right? When you have a suffering situation, when you have something that you feel like God's just got to, you're just being drugged through and that God's going to help you through it, but you just don't understand why, you don't understand where you're going, but you know that you've got some perseverance because you've done this before, and this is just developing more character in your life. You can go, wow, this is, this is going to help me down the road. I'm going to understand a bigger picture on the backside of this. This is character development in its finest. Jesus said this over and over and over again in the Gospels. In John chapter 16, verse 33, he says, In this world, you will have trouble. Like, buckle up, buttercup. It's not going to be easy, right? Jesus tells us straight out of the gate, This is not going to be the easiest thing you've ever done, but take heart. It means be of good courage. It means don't worry about it. I've overcome the world. you got to imagine the disciples when he said that. They just thought, in this world you have trouble. This is great. Sign me up, Jesus. I want to follow. Oh, but see, you've overcome everything, so that's all right. Everything that I face is going to develop character in me. It's going to develop experience within me so that I know that I can handle sufferings on the backside because it's not going to come just in one wave. It's going to come in multiple multiple and multiple ways and every time suffering happens it's producing something in me perseverance and character i can handle this we can do this together and then lastly suffering produces perseverance perseverance character and character hope and hope does not disappoint us i love this full circle okay remember what we talked about earlier Perseverance, character, and hope. And we just read in verse 2, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And in verse 3, we rejoice in our sufferings because sufferings produce, and it goes all the way through, back to hope. This is a full cycle circle of hope development here. Our responsibility is to rejoice in it all. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in our sufferings because our sufferings are eventually going to point us back to our hope in the glory of God. Everything comes back, everything points back to Him and to His glory. I was reading through this this last week. I was like, this is revolutionary. This is life-changing. This is directional changing for a lot of us because when we get in the middle of this, we get, oh, yeah, we'll rejoice in the hope of the glory. We've got hope. We can rejoice in hope. But when sufferings come, ah, it's just this kind of proverbial like wah, 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 in our life. I'm like, oh, this is hard. I don't like this. I don't want to do this suffering. I want to get back over to this hope and this glory because this is where it's easy to be a Christian. But when you're over here and you're in the middle of the suffering, this is no fun. But when you begin to recognize that we rejoice in the hope and we rejoice in the suffering, because our suffering is going to point us right back to hope. We go, okay. God, you've got, a big, you've got a bigger picture. You've got a bigger plan. You've got a bigger process through all this. Everything that we do in life points back to the hope of the glory of God. 
Everything that happens in our life, every situation, every circumstance, whether it's good or bad, or whether we understand it or not, our responsibility is to rejoice. It's to be happy. It's to boast in. So we boast in the glory of the hope of the glory of God, and we boast in our sufferings because we know that they're going to produce more hope of the glory of God. It's just this incredible kind of perspective on life where we say, okay, everything that we do, everything that we experience, everything that life throws at us, our response is boast. Our response is rejoice. When times are at their worst, we say, I can't wait to see what God's going to teach me through this. I can't wait to see what's going to be on the backside of this because we know that those sufferings are going to produce hope and we hope in the glory the shared glory of God that we get to experience him we get to see him we get to see his power and his majesty in our life suffering good times bad times all of that points back to God's glory now why why can we rejoice in the in the hope why can we rejoice in the suffering keep reading verse 6 chapter 5 verse 6 you see just at the right time underline that in your bible if you underline things at the right time this is this is where we get so messed up because we have our own timetable for god right we have our own expectation of when he should show up but just at the right time I heard Beth Moore say uh, years ago that, that God is always on time. God is always on time, but he sure misses a few good chances to be early, right? That's how we see it. God's always, we know that God has a perfect time, that he's always right on time. But to us, man, it would be awesome if you'd show up early. Jesus, if you'd just come in right now, I know you're going to be on time. I know what you've got for me is going to be perfect timing, but man, it'd be awesome if you'd just show up right now. Let's be early, right? Mama always taught me if you're always early, you're never late. So let's just be early, Jesus. But he's always just at the right time. That's an incredible phrase. We skip right over it when we read it. See, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, when we could do nothing on our own, when we were dead in our trespasses and our sins, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We rejoice because when we hated him, he died for us. We rejoice because when we wanted nothing to do with Him, He died for us. When we were neck deep in sin, when we were cheating on our spouse, when we were lying to everyone that we knew, when we were playing at religion, He died for us. When we would have rather died ourselves, He died for us. When we needed Him the most, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's reason to rejoice. That's reason to hope. 
That's reason to live explicitly for Him. Talked to two separate young men this week who both gave their heart and their life to Jesus. And, and I, I asked them both the same question. I said, what's it mean to be saved? And they said, it means I gave my life to God. Both of them. Great answer. Because that's exactly what it is. We give our life, everything that we have, to Him. We, we say those things, even in our own salvation experience, we say, yeah, well, I gave my heart and life to Jesus. But we, do we really? Do we really give Him our life? Do we really say, okay, God, whatever it is, good times, bad times, I'm going to rejoice in the hope and I'm going to rejoice in the suffering. You've got it all, God. This is, this is all I can give you. I'm just going to give you everything I am. Even when I was a sinner, you loved me. Even when I was so far away from God, Christ died for me. What other response could we have? What other reaction to that kind of love is appropriate? We give everything we have to Him. So here's the question, and I'm done. Do you know this kind of love? Do you know this unconditional, all-encompassing love that, that when you were so far against Him, He still loved and cared for you? When you had nothing to do with Him, He still died for you. Do you understand this kind of hope? That when life is good and things are going really well, that you can, you can hope in Him. But when, when life is going just awful and hard, and it seems like, seems like everything and everyone is against you, including God, that you can say, okay, God, I understand that this suffering is producing something in me. Perseverance and character and hope. And God, show me what it is that you're trying to teach me in this moment. God, let suffering produce something in me. Do you know that kind of hope? Do you know that kind of assurance that comes along with that? Listen, it's time to know. I've talked to young kids. I've talked to old men. Who say, I just never really connected the dots that God really wanted everything of me. I, I understood that I needed to do certain things. I needed to go to church. I needed to be a good person. I needed to not do this. I needed to do this. But when it came to really understanding that like He has my whole life and my responsibility is just to live it for Him, there's, there's peace that comes with that. There's hope that comes alongside of that. And we don't live in that. We don't live in those two dynamics. We live in what we can create ourselves instead of what has already been created for us. All we've got to do is take advantage of it. He said, by the grace in which we now stand, which means we are currently living in His grace, all we have to do is take advantage of it. All we have to do is take hold of it. Do you know that kind of grace? Do you know that kind of hope? Do you know that kind of love? This is your opportunity. I'm just going to ask you to stand up and 
Uh, we're going to pray together. TJ's going to sing over us, and we're just going to we're just going to let this thought kind of just seek into us. Do we really understand that kind of hope? Do we really understand that kind of forgiveness and that kind of peace? Listen, today is the day to understand it. It's time to get it. Hey, this is Matt Overall, the pastor here at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Just want to say thanks so much for watching our services, whether through our television ministry or our online ministry. We appreciate you so much being a part of Emmanuel Baptist Church, and we'd love to have you come and join our worship service. Uh, Sunday morning service starts at 10.30. Our small groups start at 9.30. And we'd love to have you be a part of it. We've got a lot of different ministries that happen at Emmanuel, from our children and youth that's focused on Wednesday nights to our uh, women's Bible studies that happen throughout the week. We'd love to have you be a part of everything that's going on here at Emmanuel. Thanks for watching.